following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I'm confident that you're aware that your friends lack joy, right, Jesus? You got that? Your friends lack joy? It's an amazing thing to realize just how sad some of our friends are around us, and people are looking for joy. Uh, People are overwhelmed by the fact that they have anxiety and fear about the future. They also have guilt and disappointments over the past. So as they're hunting for for, for, for joy and happiness, not fear, they're actually looking for it in all the wrong places. I don't know if you've noticed that, but instead of looking up, people are looking within. That's the new tenure of our day, to look inside yourself. In fact, one pastor said, never before in human history have so many turned inside to solve what is wrong with what's going on around them and in their own hearts. I mean, understand where we're coming from. And I'm talking about we as a culture. For decades, we sought to build up our self-image. And to make certain we had good self-esteem all the time, we're ignoring 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, which says, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And the very first quality of those difficult times is, verse 2, men will be lovers of what? Self. That's right. We are in the last days, that is the time in which between the coming of first coming and second coming of Christ, the last days, and self-love is the main description of our age. It's the main description. Self is the preeminent God of our age, and self is the preeminent idol of the Christian, the genuine Christian. Positively, the Bible tells us very clearly The only way to know peace and joy and love and happiness, the only way to experience the abundant life now and eternal life forever, are you ready? Is to surrender yourself to Christ by faith. Now some of you I know already are going, look Chris, I'm not a lover of myself. I don't even like myself, all right? But understand, self-love has made it a way to our lives in a very subtle way. There are, of course some obvious indicators of self-love that are going on. When, when students watch TikTok for 50 hours per week, when they're drinking up the message of self and self-magazine and self-expression and self-esteem and know thyself, and again, you know why it's called a selfie, because narcissisty is too hard to say, okay? So understand, every Disney movie in the last 30 years is about finding yourself, I want to be where the people are, right? (laughs) Let it go, Hakuna Matata. I can go the distance, but subtly, what we used to call in our society selfishness or even narcissism is now removed from our culture. You don't hear those words anymore. You don't. It's very difficult to even find them. And the reason for this is the world has taught us that it's crucial that we take an inward journey. We get in touch with our emotions and our deepest desires, 
And then subtly, the world teaches us that those deepest desires now become, are you ready? Write it down, your identity. Your identity. Maybe my deepest desire is my sexual orientation, or my gothness, or my sports addiction, or my video games, or my amusement park, or my kids, or my career path. And you feel internally, you look at it, you go, I, I, I'm an artist. God made me an artist. Uh, I, I'm an athlete. I, I dress only in Armani. I got it. I'm finding myself, and it doesn't matter somehow as we begin to find ourselves what's really going on around us anymore. It's I found myself. So I define myself as a, just flippantly a Packers fan. So my wife needs me, my kids need me, but the reality is I'm a Packer fan, so therefore I must be in front of the television watching the Packers even though you have desperate need of me. And I redefine that by saying that's my identity, I'm a Packers fan, and therefore it doesn't matter that I'm selfish. It doesn't matter that I ignore your need. Understand, I have legitimized my self-centeredness and then it's obvious, and when it's obvious that I'm being selfish, I find people who agree with me. Other Packer fans. Or others sexually confused. Or others addicted to Magic Mountain. Others who work out of the gym incessantly. And they agree with me. I can't be wrong. I'm not selfish. We all agree that this is my identity. It could even be that you're a solid believer and you once went to a Packers game and so then you justify your idolatry of the Packers by saying, look, that Christian went to a Packers game. And we do that to justify our selfishness. This is all about who I am. It's not merely self-love or selfishness that needs to be curbed. And this is where it gets really fun. Now, if you question me, hey, you're kind of being selfish there. You're attacking me. Why? Because it's not selfishness. It's my what? My identity. I've taken the journey. I've got my orientation down. I'm a basketball player. I'm a football player. I'm a, a grades thing is all my thing here. And my, you, you must embrace my identity. And you need to begin to describe this as who I am because this is who I am. And then you find people who agree with your identity no matter what it is, who it is. And they'll never say anything bad about you. They'll never correct you or criticize you because you've redefined your selfishness as your identity. Now that's not going to give you joy or peace or happiness or love. It doesn't work. You're still lonely and angry and anxious. And so finally, to justify your selfishness, what you do is you sprinkle a little spirituality on it. You find yourself trying to find peace internally, but you can't. And so you try some meditation or you try some yoga or some marginal. And this is where these megachurches come from when it's all about you. When you show up, it's all about helping you. It's not about exalting God. It's not about living for Him, worshiping Him, and finding your true joy and happiness in Christ. It's all about you finding satisfaction. And they keep reiterating this over and over because that's the God of our age. But you cannot find peace internally. You, you, know, you cannot find it by going to some sort of ecclesiological buffet and picking and choosing some spirituality that will fit this weird identity which came from your desires because this too will never satisfy the empty heart do you understand you're not built that way it'll never happen understand this is the disease of our society this is actually what's destroying the church today those whose heart is given to self are self-deceived make-believers those whose heart is battling with self 
are harming the witness of the church. Again, you know and I know we are here to offer ourselves in worship to our Lord Jesus Christ as a living, what? Sacrifice. We're denying ourselves and exalting Him and recognizing Him as the source of all of life. And so we give ourselves away to Him in ministry. We give our material goods away in in giving. We do that, and that's the path of enjoying Him and loving Him and worshiping Him and adoring Him. And that's when our hearts are satisfied. That's when our hearts are full. That's when we're at peace. That's when we find our identity. But to actually have a path that is focused on self only leads to sorrow and to guilt and to fear. Uh, Again, let me give you some understanding of why that is. When you make your identity your emotional, you know, journey, then you alone know what's best for you in the universe. Do you see how that elevates you and and causes you to be proud? You're, You're taking this inward journey, but you're fallen and you're sinful, and that's never going to change. And so when you look inside, what you really find is nothing, okay, except confusion. And there's no biblical authority, no community to see clearly, no relationships you listen to, just you, your own discernment and direction of life was not formed in community, nobody else had any input in it, and your direction of life was basically no one speaking into you, it's just you. Now, you all know this is true, because you all watched the first season of American Idol. Remember that? Okay, and so these people would show up on that show. And it was absolutely hysterical and heartbreaking at the same time because their whole life they go, I've searched in in and I've looked at my own heart and God made me a singer, right? And everybody else said, oh, you sing good. Yeah, you're good. Even though that eh, little concern. Oh, but they, everybody else told you. They reaffirmed your inward journey and then they stood before Simon Cowell. <laughs> and he spoke the truth for the first time in their lives, and said, as a singer, you stink. And they were devastated. Why? Because their identity was exposed. And they go, you can't say that about me. That's who I am. And we were all laughing at them, but that was indicative of our age. That's what's going on in multiple different ways. And if anybody questions you or presses you, then they hate you, and they're the enemy. When actually, you're basing your entire life on your own emotions and experience, which is not truth, and it's not reality. This morning, if you came over to my house, sat by my fire pit in the backyard, and I had my chocolate almond milk shake and espresso light ice with decaf, and we're talking, and you're telling me about your childhood, and how you endured, and how you had these horrible parents, and da-da-da, and how you just walked through life, and, and I'd, I'd be going, wow, this is incredible, I just... I'd fall in love with you, we'd get to know each other, we'd share, you know, what what God has done in our lives, and and then you'd walk away and I'd walk away, but I'm guaranteeing you, as you walked away and I walked away, not one of us would think that you, that person who just opened their heart to me, would make a good God, right? And yet that's exactly what's happening in our society, exactly. Regular people are doing this every day, society loves it, teachers love it. The media applauds it, and God hates it when you deify yourself, when it's all about you. He hates it. I've been following Christ for 48 years now, and I'm a lot more stable than I've ever been in my entire life. But I can look back 10 years, I can look back 20 years and see a lot of instability 
compared to where I'm at right now. Anybody else with me on that? You look back and you go, man, I'm, I'm thankful for the growth and the maturity, etc. Interesting enough, I'm changing. Would you agree with that? And you're changing. Would you agree with that? We do. We change. What's amazing is over time, even following Christ, my desires have changed. Anybody else? Desires have changed over time? If I build my identity around my inner emotions, my inner me, and my desires change, then that means my, des- my identity changes. In fact, add to that reality, does anybody have any competing desires where one day you feel like this and then another day you feel like that? Anybody with me on that? That's what's so devastating about the transgender movement is that a junior high gal wakes up and goes, I want to be a boy today. Next week she goes, I want to be a girl. Because the emotions have changed and you can't find your identity by looking inside. Are you getting this? You can't do it. Any given moment, I could really, really want this and the next moment I could really want that. And there's no way you can find joy looking within, living by self. It is a lousy, lousy, losing path to be guided by emotions and to be guided by experience and not truth and not reality. To focus on self is to do things your way, to elevate yourself above others and God. It means you're not considering others as more important than yourself. It means that you're not considering others in that way and preferring them. You're you're raising the question if you truly know Christ. You know this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. It says, He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for who? Themselves. But for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. The Christian who is self-consumed will be spanked out of their self-love. Or they'll show themselves they never knew Christ and were just worshiping themselves. And this is exactly what Paul's exposing in Galatians chapter 5. If you're not there yet, please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. You're going to need your Bibles today. Life lived by the flesh, by our humanness. Life lived without the Spirit will produce the deeds of the flesh. Listen, if you're living by the Spirit, you're living by God... If you're living by the flesh, you're living by what? Self. Your strength. And this passage is about exposing that. Exposing that. So I want you to read aloud with me Galatians 5, 19, 20, and 21 from your outline together. Let's read it together, shall we? Here we go. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Life lived by self. Live by your own strength. Live by your own power. For yourself produces obvious self-centered works or deeds. That's what this passage is telling you. It's telling you that. The purpose of this passage, get this, stay with me. The purpose of this passage is not primarily about Christian behavior. This is not meant to tell Christians what not to do, the deeds of the flesh, though that's still a goal. The main purpose of this passage, are you ready? Is to identify those in the church who are lost. That's the main purpose of this passage. And living in their own strength and comparing them with those who are saved who are living by the strength of the who? The Spirit. 
Look at the beginning of verse 19 and then at the end of verse 21. Take a look at it again. The deeds of the flesh are what? Evident. That's obvious. And then skip to the end of verse 21. He says, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we're going to take a look at this in point number one on this particular portion of this passage, not the list, but understand in Galatia there were false teachers teaching church attenders to obey the law, to get circumcised, to keep all the festivals, and to actually become a Jew in order to become a Christian, in order to get really saved. And in those churches, there were weak Christians, weak wheat real believers who needed direction. But there are also in those, in those churches two-time tares, right? Who are attempting to live a legalistic, modified, add Judaism to Christianity in their own strength, in the power of self. And both false teachers and fake followers were manifesting the works or the deeds of the flesh, living by their own strength, focusing on themselves. And Paul says now, this is what it looks like. You want to identify these folks. This is what they look like. Paul wants to make certain you don't live the Christian life powered by yourself. Paul wants to help you identify who's a real believer and who's a make-believer. In fact, Paul uh, really wants to have you experience the life of God in you and through you. And Paul wants you to rely not on yourself and your humanness to live for Christ. Not in your own strength. He wants you to live in the light of the Spirit. And depending on the Spirit of God, through you, the unsaved are going to manifest the deeds of the flesh, and the saved are going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. That's the portion that we're in right now. And so, stay with me now. Number one, we're going to look at verse 19 and then the end of verse 21 together. Number one in your outline, would you embrace the Lord exposing the sick prioritization of self? He's going to expose those who live by the power of self. Wow. So, here are the tools to expose someone who lives for self. Most of the time when we look at this passage, we see the list. But if you actually study what's before the list and what's after the list, you actually understand where this passage is coming from. So embrace the Lord exposing this prioritization of self and see if that's you. This verse exposes the fake Christian. It uncovers. How do you see a heart that lives for self and not the Savior? How do you do that? Well, I'm going to give you several points here, eight of them total, so stay with me. First in your outline, by not developing a walk in the Spirit. By not developing a walk in the Spirit. You say, Chris, where do you get that from? I'm so glad you asked. The very first word in verse 19 is now, and that's found right here, but or now, and what he's doing is he's contrasting this now new section, this new paragraph, with the paragraph he just articulated. So he's contrasting or connecting it to what he just said. So what did he just say? Look at verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the what? Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Okay, verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So now he says, first word, now, first word, but the deeds of the flesh are opposite of that, of what I just taught about the importance of walking in the Spirit. For if you are walking in the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. Flesh and Spirit are in conflict your entire life. We learned that last week. But if you are led by the Spirit... 
you'll be functioning under the law, and not functioning under the law, and not being trying to live the Christian life in your own strength, or not dependent upon yourself to please God. But now, verse 19, look, the first word, but now you will live by the flesh if you don't walk by the Spirit. So he's contrasting what he just said. So if you're not walking by the Spirit, you're going to live by the flesh. You'll live in your own strength. Live for self. One more time. If you're living by the Spirit, you're living in whose strength? God's strength. If you're living by the flesh, you're living in whose strength? Yours. That's the point. You will live in your own strength if you live in the flesh. Live for self if you don't walk by the Spirit. Now, walking by the Spirit, we learned this last week, is continually being filled with the Spirit moment by moment. Being filled with the Spirit moment by moment means being controlled by the Spirit, depending on Him as you engage your will, following the Word of God. Listen, not your thinking, not your feelings, not your ideas, not your inner identity. You're trusting in Him, following the Word of God. You're confessing all known sin. You're seeking to show the Spirit off by serving in the church, sharing in the world. Listen, if you don't walk by the Spirit, you are definitely going to be living for yourself. If you don't walk by the Spirit, you will be living for yourself. You cannot live the Christian life. Only Christ can live the Christian life through you. You cannot live for the glory of God. Only God can glorify himself through you. You must be walking by the Spirit. Otherwise, this section, you're going to be living by the flesh. Are you getting it? That's what he's saying. Secondly, in your outline, would be the second point, which is you're going to be focused on self and living for self if you're not depending, just doing. Not depending, just doing. Now, this is a very important point. He kind of says that. When he talks about the deeds, right? The deeds, which are found here, the works of the flesh. And understand, the deeds or the works, this is what you do, not what God does. The deeds of the flesh is what you do, not what God does. Maybe you didn't notice this. When you compare flesh and spirit in these verses, this whole context here, what you're going to find is, are you ready? Watch this. The deeds of the flesh countering the fruit of the Spirit. Get it? Deeds are what you do. Fruit is what God does. Deeds are the actions taken by self. Fruit is the quality that God produces. Now, if you would, stay in your Bible, turn back to Galatians 2.20, even though you know it. The goal of the Christian life is not for you to keep doing deeds. Oh, let me say it again. Wait, 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 wait. One more time. The goal of the Christian life is not for you to keep doing deeds, even good ones, but for you to live by faith, depending on the Spirit of God, to work through you. Yes, you step out. Yes, you engage your will dependently. You act, but you do so dependently, asking the Lord to work through you. This is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, depending on the thing, relying on the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Are you getting it? Christ through you. Christ lives in me. I live dependent faith. I died to sin. I died to self. I now live for Christ. Now, as I depend on him to produce fruit through me, I don't merely, you got to get this, follow the rules of the law. I don't merely, here's where it gets pointed, show up at church show up to community group, show up to student ministry, and appear a Christian. I don't merely serve. 
I don't merely minister, usher, greet, teach kids, lead worship, or run sound. No, I depend on the Lord to work through me to produce fruit. Are you getting it? We can go through the motions externally in our own strength, but only God can produce fruit. I rely completely on the Lord to work through me right now. You are to be dependent upon the Lord to work through you, even to worship Him. Are you with me? Deeds, okay, this is what you do. You do. Okay, fruit is what God does. Get it? Okay, point number three. Thirdly, is not crucifying the flesh. You live a life of self but when you're not crucifying the flesh, he says, now the deeds of the flesh. Deeds of the flesh. Listen, he's pointing at you. He's pointing at me. We are men and women of flesh. Are we not? Someday we're going to get a glorified body, but right now. And the problem is not your bad environment. That's what our world teaches us. It's your bad environment. The problem is not bad beings who are around you. Like even your hateful enemy, the devil. The problem is, are you ready? Is you and me. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles. You don't want to see it in your own Bible. Romans 6, 6. It's not listed there, so you turn there. Romans 6, 6. The flesh here seems to be that which springs from the old fallen nature. And when you become a Christian, the old man, the old nature dies. So Romans 6, 6 says it this way. It says, knowing this, that our old self was what? Crucified. It died with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. Now go back to Galatians 5. The Bible here is making flesh and spirit opposites, human, divine, external, internal, religion, relationship, natural, supernatural, unsaved, saved, humanness, holiness, flesh, spirit. As a Christian, yes, you still have the stain of sin, the memory of sin, and the flesh with us. That inclination is very strong. It's still in us. But it's like this. I, I, I'll describe it this way. Our, our whole life is like we're walking right here on the edge. Okay, right on the edge of this giant chasm. Every day, this is you. Every day. And you're up here, and the only way to hang on up here, the only way to stay up here is to hang on to the cable of the Holy Spirit. The only one. So here you are, and you're up there, and you're hanging on to the Holy Spirit, right? And you're walking along, and depending on Him, and walking along, depending on Him. The moment you let go, you're going to roll down into the cesspool of sin. Right? And that's where Jaws is. Okay, so. (laughs) We need to be dependent on Him moment by moment by moment for Him to work through us. Understand, unless we hang on to the Spirit, we're going to find ourselves sloshing in all kinds of sin. All kinds. Pride. But if we're unsaved, then that flesh, that's fallen nature, this defiance will automatically become evident in our lives. We'll be known for this, what's down here. And you will see the deeds of the flesh in you and through you, even if you claim Christ, even if you go to church, even if you study the Bible. Okay, so number four, a life given to self is basically not confessing known sin and obvious sin. Not confessing that. The deeds of the flesh, now watch this word here, are what? Evident. The deeds of the flesh are what? Now, you know, when I'm studying this in the original language, which is just an example of what I've given for you, you always take note of what's first in the sentence. And what's first in the sentence in Greek is the word evident. Now, when an author wants to emphasize something in the Greek language, 
he, we would, you know, put an explanation point. He would say, I'm going to put it in the beginning of the sentence. So the emphasis here is on evident. He wants you to understand that these things are evident. Now, we know this passage is about determining whether we're a believer or a make-believer because he puts that first, and that word means to be clear, to appear. You can put in your Bible over it, obvious. It's manifested. It shows up. It's, it's clear. And the second reason is that he made evident emphatic. He put it the first of the sentence, which then is like a Greek going, get this, evident are the deeds of the flesh. And thirdly, we know this passage is about determining who's real and who's phony by the verb is. Now, it's, it's stated as is here, but actually in the English translation, it's are. These things are evident. And what he's saying there is that this is present tense. Present tense means this is ongoing. This is not just a slip into the cesspool of sin. This is an ongoing lifestyle. This is not talking about your sin bents. It's not talking about the things you battle with all day long and the sins that you struggle with. This is ongoing, continual, unconfessed, unregenerate, unrepentant, kept a secret, given to sin this way as a way of life type sins. If when you're lost, the deeds of the flesh are glaring, they're obvious, they're ongoing, an indicator of who you are. Are you getting this? Look, I don't want you to walk away from going, man, if I sin once in this list, then that means I'm a non-Christian. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if these things are ongoing in your life, and you're defiant, and you're not confessing it, and you're not repenting of it, then that indicates you're not a child of God. Are you getting it? But he wants it to be evident. The false teachers were evident. Their unredeemed nature shines through. And any time a so-called Christian is not confessing those obvious evident sins, then they're calling their faith into question. Will you admit this morning that you slip into the flesh far more than you want. Amen? And will you admit that you have looked at yourself in the mirror and said, oh, wretched man or wretched woman that I am. Anybody amen to that? True. Every one of us here is disgusting. With sin. But you know what sets you apart if you're a true believer? You confess, you repent, and you get help. Write these three verses down. 1 John 1, 9, you confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Write down Acts 26, 20. Repent, they, they should repent and turn to God, performing the deeds appropriate to repentance. And Galatians 6, 1, which we'll look at in a few weeks, get help. So confess, repent, get help. Brethren, if anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual in the spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing your burden is holding Christians up, bearing them up, holding them up, and helping them when they're battling with sin. Are your flesh sins occasional dips into the cesspool, or are they unrepentant, continual, no confession, seeking no help type sins? Because if they're the second category, that's a bad spiritual sign. Tracking with me? So then he adds, fifthly in your outline, this whole point is that you're not hating all your sin. He actually says here, and things like these. At the end or the middle of verse 21, when he finishes his list, he adds, and things like these. What's he meaning? He just gave you a list of horrible sins that we shouldn't be known by, right? He gave you that list, and then he says, and things like these, meaning the list isn't complete. 
Some of you are here today, and, and just, isn't it true that sometimes we kind of want to feel self-righteous? So we look at that list, we go, sorcery is not my problem, okay? I'm doing good, you know? And then Paul adds, and things like these. And he says, what about pride? What about selfishness? Uh, what about lying or pornography or whatever? Uh, what about sins of omission, not giving, not serving, not loving, not caring, not praying? things like these. What he's saying is, listen, Christian, one of the key indicators of a true Christian, they hate all their sin. All of it. All of it! In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They recognize their undeservedness. Those who mourn over their sin. Paul called himself the chief of sinners, present tense, toward the end of his life. Present tense, the Apostle Paul, chief of sinners. He even said, wretched man that I am. Listen, it's pretty simple. Christians are those who hate their sin. Non-Christians are those who excuse their sin. And then number six, not dealing with God's providential warnings. Not dealing with God's providential warnings. He, he makes this statement in verse 21. He says, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you. I forewarn you, and I have forewarned you. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm saying this to you, and I have said this to you. I mean, isn't that true? He says, I told you this before, and I'm telling you this again. Because you got to get this. He's reminding the Galatians, just as I said, I'm saying now. This is so important. Good deeds can't get you into heaven, but bad deeds can keep you out of heaven. You're going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not heresy. Because understand, ongoing, unrepentant deeds of the flesh will prove that you're not a child of God. He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that. And the saddest Christians of the world are those who continue to be warned. I mean, war Paul is saying, look, I told you this, and I'm telling you this again. Now, do you sometimes need to be told more than once? Anybody with me on this? The kids are going, yeah, it's a regular deal. <laughs> but God loves us enough. He warns us in his word. He warns us through people. He warns us through providential circumstances. Listen, God is speaking. Are you listening? He's speaking, right? But the question is, are you what? listening we need to respond to these warnings and he's telling you you need to respond because God is speaking through all these vehicles primarily his word seventh in your outline is that you see the self-life by not dealing with ongoing sin he says in verse 21 he says that those who practice such things and that practice there is a present participle. It is ongoing sin. He's not talking about a specific sin that leads you to hell. He's not talking about any one sin, one time makes you an unbeliever. He's saying that any sin, ongoing, unconfessed, unbattled, might prove that you're not his child. The flesh life, the self life, is a life that doesn't attack, confess, repent, get help with ongoing sin. And that Greek word practice is a present participle, which means it's continual sin, it's doing sin, acting out sin, un undertaking sin in an ongoing way, and there's nothing changing it. If you're not dealing with those deeds that are in this list and beyond this list, then you're proving 
that you're living for self and you're not living for what? The Savior. That's what he's saying. And then letter eight, number eight, he's saying, not fearing God with your assurance of salvation. Not fearing God with your assurance of salvation. Verse 21 ends with, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives this incredible phrase, and he uses a future aorist indicative, or future active indicative, and what he's saying there is that this is going to happen in the future, and the indicative means it's a fact. It's a fact. So what he's saying is, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God in the future as a fact, if these things are ongoing in your life, and you're practicing these things without confession. Listen, the obvious meaning is, they're not saved. They're not going to enter God's kingdom. They're not going to be a part of God's rule on earth because God's kingdom is God's rule and they will not be where God rules for all eternity in heaven. And therefore, it's pretty simple. You either self-rule or God rule. That's it. You either bow down before the Lord or you stand on your own self. And Paul here says, if you continually live out one of the deeds of the flesh, then you have not bowed the knee before Christ and you are not living under his rule. The kingdom of Christ is where Christ rules, and Paul teaches us everywhere in the New Testament. Look at those verses in your outline, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not, what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. You know what that means? It means don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, etc. will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul is just as pointed in Ephesians 5, 5, when he says, for this you know with what? certainty and you know what that means in the greek what's it mean you know this with certainty don't miss that no more person no impure person no covetous man who is an idolater and again they're known for that sin that's indicative of their life has an inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god fleshly self-driven fake believers will manifest the deeds of the flesh as a way of life and they ignore the warnings of scripture they don't fear god they don't fear hero wow because they prayed a prayer once they walked an aisle once, they got involved once, they made a decision once for Christ, they belonged to a Christian family, they serve in ministry, they had feelings for Jesus once, but Paul plainly says those who practice these things in an ongoing way will not inherit. Listen, it's pretty simple. You either bow to the king or you are being the king. It's that simple. Either one or the other. So, understand, this leads us to Point number two, which is to embrace the Lord explaining the evidences of the self-life. He's explaining the evidence of the self-life. He gives us the qualities now that are indicative of our life of self, and he gives this list of transgressions. Now, listen, in the early days, not so much today, but in ancient times, there were lists of qualities that people followed and lists of transgressions that they avoided. In the Greek and Jewish and Roman cultures, they had these lists. Listen, even in the movie Gladiator, Commodus had his list of qualities and he lists them off to his father Caesar right before he kills him. Okay, so there you go. And when you're living with an external Christianity, with a fake faith, if you are a make-believer and a self-deceived disciple, then this is what you will see in your life and through your life. Internally and at times externally, compare your life now to these qualities. We're going to just run through them really fast. So you get the understanding of what's there. He starts in verse 19 with immorality. That's the Greek word porneia. It's right here. 
And basically, it's where we get our English word for pornography, and it's all sexual activity outside of God's design, like adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, incest, prostitution, etc. Immorality. Impurity is, was used of the pus of an unclean wound, and it came to mean anything that makes you unfit to enter God's presence by soiling your life with impure behavior. Sensuality was originally any excessive behavior or lack of restraint, but it came to mean excessive sexual references, discussions, stories, and indulgences, etc. In verse 20, it continues, idolatry is worshiping anything man-made and anything above Christ. It could be the Packers, okay? It could be anything that you love more than you love Jesus Christ, anything. Sorcery is actually where we get the word for pharmacy. It's pharmakeia, and basically it's anything that's mind-altering that opens up your life to demons and magic and false worship Enmities, this is the guy who's always angry. Are you one of those guys always angry, right? Okay, always mad, you know, you don't like anybody, all right? Strife, this is the self-given and driven gal that wants to win and be first or the guy, doesn't matter. Jealousy is the desire to have what someone else has. Outbursts of anger, this is the guy, anger that explodes, then it dies out, then it explodes again. Disputes are the self-seeker who festers animosity towards others. They're always, you know, creating division. Dissensions is the aspect of the flesh which you separate yourself from everybody. Factions is the guy who divides up against friends and family. You see a lot of unity issues here, right? And it's very important that you catch that. Envying is people who are pained when other people succeed. Other people are blessed and do well. They're, they're just struggling with that. Drunkenness is excessive drinking to the point where you lose your mind or control. And carousing is actually where we get our word orgy. It's, it's not merely sexual though. It's out of control eating, out of control partying, all that kind of stuff. Now this is where it gets scary. These get scary when they're ongoing and unconfessed. That's where it's scary. There are more than these, right? He already told us things like what? These. So this list is not exhaustive. And he also says it's ongoing. Remember, you're practicing these things. It's present tense. They're most dangerous when these qualities are not confessed, not repentative, not seeking help with. They're ongoing in your life. That's deadly. If you don't hate these deeds, nor refuse to do anything to stop them in your life, it's deadly. Listen, is your life focused on self or truly focused on the Savior? Which one? Interesting enough, are you living the deeds of the flesh that you do or the fruit of the Spirit that God does? So, let's take this home. Ready? Letter A. There is hope in Christ. That is good news. Amen? Because after telling us those who practice this flesh list will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, in Corinthians, makes a clear statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, such what? Were some of you. This is part of your past. But you were washed of those things. And you were sanctified, set apart for God, and growth more to be more like Christ. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. It's by the Spirit of God, he's telling us. In the Spirit. By Him, by turning from your sin in heart and life and repentance and depending on the person and work of Christ by faith where you surrender your life to Him where God the Son took the punishment that you deserve for your sins 
upon himself on the cross. It was God's wrath poured out there and then rose from the dead to give you a new life. He says in verse 11, look at that. Look at verse 11. You can be cleansed. Don't you love that? Hey, Christian, struggle with sin, I know. Remember this, you're cleansed. Are you ready for this? Whiter than snow. You're made new. And you're made righteous before God now and forever. There is great hope in Christ. Amen? Amen. Letter B. Confrontation is necessary when the word is continually violated. Everybody struggles with sin. Everybody. We call ourselves the chief of sinners. Some of you gals have looked at yourself in the mirror and said, wretched, wretched, and it wasn't just your hair. (laughs) When you stop battling sin, though, when you allow sin to control your life, when you stop confessing, repenting, getting help, when that sin becomes descriptive of you, all of a sudden you're known for that sin. Then believers who love you have to confront you. They have no choice. If they love you, they're not confronting you because they're better than you. It's because they love you and they know that this is what God requires and they desire to help. Galatians 6.1, brethren, if anyone is caught, listen to this, in any trespass, any, you're caught in it, you're continuing in it, then you who are spiritual, you know what that means? In the spirit, you're walking in the spirit. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Got to make sure you look at yourself so you don't think you're better than them lest you too be tempted. Don't talk about them. Don't tell me about them. Don't tell other elders about them. Don't tell your wife or your husband about them. Just go to them. Go to them, and here's what you do. Are you ready? This is Chris's simple confrontation process. Number one, you tell them three sins that you're currently battling with. You. And then you say, can I help you with this struggle that I've seen in your life? Then everybody knows we're all in this together. Amen? But you got to confront. You can't let this go. And let her see. The most dangerous posture for a professing Christian is not doing good all the time. That's actually Christ through you. And it's not doing evil all the time. That's proving that you're not in Christ. The most dangerous posture for a professing Christian here this morning is not doing nothing. You don't serve, you don't give, you don't love, you don't disciple, you don't hunger for Christ. You don't do anything, though you claim to be a Christian. The Bible talks about you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know your deeds. Look at your deeds. The deeds of the flesh. That you're neither cold nor hot. Oh, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Friends, God does not spit his children out of his mouth. This is the fake believer. Are you hot for Christ? Are you cold to Christ? Or are you lukewarm, lost to Christ? That's the purpose of Galatians 5. 19, 20, and 21. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word to change our lives. And Father, that you would draw some to yourself and help them to know what real life is, real...
Christianity, being born again. And Father, for the rest of us, that we would worship you by offering ourselves and asking over and over repeatedly that we could be free of ourselves, not that we would do it, but we would depend upon your Spirit moment by moment, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, allowing you to work through us and giving us encouragement and victory from time to time that causes us to want to be more in the Spirit so that you would be exalted above all and that we would be free of the slavery to self. And we pray that you would, again, glorify yourself with how we respond today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.